Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. Sure is great to see everyone this morning. It's right in the middle of summer, a lot of folks traveling and vacations and all that stuff. So I so appreciate you being here this morning. We're going to continue this morning going through uh, our reading plan. And I know we're halfway through the year, but it's never too late to jump on board with this reading plan. And if you need a copy of that, just let myself or someone know. We usually keep some around the exits, but if we need more, we will, of course, get those to you. But in our reading plan this week, we're going to be in the book of Ezra. Very interesting little book. Uh, Last week, we saw the bad part of this story. We saw the temple being plundered. We saw a lot of God's people being carried off into exile in Babylon, pulled out of their homes, drug out of their homeland. We saw the temple and the city, which would then be burned and just, just destroyed. And the, compete, the people were just completely defeated and, and disgraced. Remember we talked about how, um, you know, we don't want to be disgraced. We talked about how God's people didn't want to be disgraced. And we can avoid that through repentance, but they didn't. And so they were basically disgraced in front of the whole world and held in captivity in another nation, in Babylon, for 70 years. So God brought harsh judgment in, in what I would say is not just judgment, but discipline upon his, his people, his children, uh, not just to punish them, but ideally to bring their hearts back to him. And that's what we end up seeing uh, in your reading this week. You're going to finish the book of Daniel and start this little book of Ezra, where we'll be in chapter 3 this morning, if you'd like to turn there. And this morning we're going to be talking about getting back to the basics. When a good team, even a, a, a great team, um, or a great athlete, Hits a slump. What do you, what do you have to do? Sometimes you got to go back to the fundamentals, right? You got to go back to the basics. A good coach will decide, guys, gals, it's time. We go right back to the basics, to the fundamentals, rehone, refocus, all these things that built this foundation and made us successful in the first place. And so in Ezra, we see God's people getting back to the basics of their faith. They're allowed to return to their homeland. And their priority right now at this point is to rebuild God's temple, to rebuild this house of worship and restore right worship for God in Israel, in the city of Jerusalem. They're not focused on themselves. They're not focused on their homes yet. They're not focused on these city walls. That will come later. They're focused on the Lord and being able to worship Him in the place where God said long before, my people will worship me in the place that I will show them. And their story, their lessons for the church today, we need to realize things we need to remember is we seek to move forward and sometimes even go back to the basics from time to time in our pursuit of progress. So while God's people are in exile, there's a prophetic decree that's issued by the king. 
And it basically says the Jews may return to Jerusalem for this purpose, to build a house for their God. And what we read in the opening chapters of the little book of Ezra is that some 42,000 Jews leave Babylon and go back to their homeland for the very first time in 70 years. And they're led by a a man named Zerubbabel, who is actually a descendant of King David. He was born in captivity in Babylon. And he's the grandson of that King Jehoiachin that we talked about last week. So finally, after being driven out of their homes because of their sinfulness, God, because He is good and He is faithful, brings His people back and begins to restore them in their own land. That takes us to Ezra chapter 3. Let's read this together. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's short. The Bible says, When the seventh month arrived... And the Israelites were in their towns. The people gathered as one in Jerusalem. Jeshua, son of Josadak, and his brothers, the priests, along with Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, and his brothers began to build the altar of Israel's God in order to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set up the altar on its foundation and offered burnt offerings for the morning and evening on it to the Lord, even though they feared the surrounding peoples. They celebrated the the festival of shelters as prescribed and offered burnt offerings each day based on the number specified by ordinance for each festival day. After that, they offered the regular burnt offering and the offerings for the beginning of each month and for all the Lord's appointed holy occasions, as well as the freewill offerings brought to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, even though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. They gave money to the stonecutters and artisans and gave food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar wood from Lebanon to Joppa by sea, according to the authorization given by King Cyrus of Persia. In the second month of the second year, after they arrived at God's house in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, Jeshua, son of Josadak, and the rest of their brothers, including the priests, the Levites, and all who had returned to Jerusalem from captivity, began to build. They appointed the Levites, who were 20 years old or more, to supervise the work on the Lord's house. Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel with his sons, and the sons of Judah and Hinnadad with their sons and brothers, the Levites, joined together to supervise those working on the house of God. When the builders had laid the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests, dressed in their robes and holding trumpets, and the Levites, descended from Asaph, holding cymbals, took their positions to praise the Lord, as King David of Israel had instructed. They sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and family heads who had seen the first temple wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this temple. But many others shouted joyfully. The people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouting from that of the weeping because the people were shouting so loudly and the sound was heard far away. Now, I want you to understand, this is such a monumental moment for God's people. And I think the magnitude of this moment in Scripture is kind of hard for us to grasp, being so far removed from the situation and the culture. And uh, some people have actually likened this moment to the Jewish reaction 
upon reaching the well, the Welling Wall, the Western Wall, the Temple Mount back in 1967 when they had went to war with the Arabs. And finally they pushed through into the city. And for the first time in a very long time, you see God's people touching and, and putting their heads against the Welling Wall and praying and just crying to God there by the Temple Mount. So here, so here are the people again, they're back in their homeland. And what does that mean? They're not just back in their home, but they're back in the promised land. They're back in the land that we've talked about that God said, I'm going to give this to you. And they were driven out of that. And now God has brought them back. And being back, they now have their priorities straight. They want to rebuild God's temple and worship God in the land that he has promised to give to them. And so Ezra and Nehemiah, these two books, at one time in the Hebrew Scriptures, were part of one book, one story. And together they tell the tale of this God-ordained progress or this mission of, of revival and revitalization and rebuilding. And there are, there are lessons for us about moving forward physically, spiritually, uh, a lot of different ways. And this morning there's, there's four realities, I think, in this passage that we've got to remember when we're trying to press forward. And the first one seems a little bit counterintuitive. I'll just be honest with you. But sometimes we must go back in order to go forward. We've got to go back in order to move forward. In the first part of chapter 3, we see the people going back to the basics. Right back to the heart of worship. And the way that God wanted to be worshipped and He established this long before, as they say, by the man of God named Moses. And so they finally, after all these years of making the wrong choices and being in rebellion against God and being driven out of their homeland into exile, they finally have their priorities straight. Their main goal is to worship God. Really, that should be our main goal in life, right? To bring glory and honor to the one that created us. And Ezra tells us that they are unified in the pursuit of this godly goal, that they are gathered as one in Jerusalem. So immediately they go about the work of building the altar for the sacrifices. Even, even though, though there's no temple yet, even though the foundation of the temple has not been laid, they're trying to put everything in place for all these regular offerings that they've been unable to do since they'd been exiled in Babylon. You see, for the past 70 years, these people have not been able to sacrifice to God, not been able put it in our context, to worship God the way that God's supposed to be worshipped. Because the law says this had to happen in Jerusalem. They've been far away from Jerusalem for the past 70 years. And so now they arrive back in this holy city. And you can imagine, they're very eager to get back to worshiping God the way that they are supposed to worship God. So just as I said, an athlete goes through slumps sometimes. I don't know how many of you played sports or, or in sports right now, but sometimes you just go through a slump, right? Sometimes I go out on the golf course and I can smoke some, some pretty good ones. Most days that's not the case. I kind of live in a, in a slump in that regard. But sometimes you're just worse than others, right? And as you go through this, sometimes you need to go back. And I'm not, going, not talking about going back and focusing on the past. That's something totally different. I'm talking about going back and focusing on fundamentals. There's times in our spiritual lives that we simply go through slumps. We go through dry spells in our walk with Christ. And occasionally you, you can't pray your way out of it. You can't praise your way out of it. You simply need to go back and, and refocus on those simple little things that help form and shape your spiritual life to begin with. For example, sometimes you just need to go back and spend some time in God's Word. Sometimes you need to go back and just uh, redevelop that habit of spending time with God in prayer every day. 
A lot of times we're eager to move forward with our goals, with our plans. We began to gather resources, but sometimes it's just not enough. And sometimes we've got to go back and not only plan and not only strategize, but find a, a dependence on the Lord spiritually. Sometimes I think churches overcomplicate ministry programs and we, we try to do everything that we can, right? We, we, we overcomplicate things to the point that we're spread thin. We've got the same 20 people doing the same 50 different ministries and we've we got everything tied up and all this stuff. And we're doing a lot of stuff okay, but we're not doing anything great. So all these programs become mediocre at best, and what happens is the church itself begins to suffer because we're spread so thin and we're, we're not focused on anything in particular. It's kind of a, the shotgun approach to ministry. And sometimes what we got to do, is, even as a church, is go back and say, okay, what has God called us to do? What are the essentials that we must do and that we know we can do well? And get back to the very basics of, of things like loving people and worshiping God and making disciples and winning the lost. And then everything else that we add to that is just gravy. Second reality we got to remember is that great progress uh, requires great sacrifice from everyone. So Ezra tells us that all these people began to offer the offerings to the Lord and uh, realizing that the foundation for the temple wasn't even laid, that the people began to give even more in addition to the regular offerings that God had prescribed in the law. And he says they gave money, they gave food, they gave drink, they gave oil, they gave all these things that they can trade to these other nations for, for timber. Uh, and even King Cyrus had a hand in helping provide for the rebuilding of God's temple. And you read about the details of everything everybody gave. They gave above and beyond any expectation. Ezra actually tells us that they contributed 61,000 golden coins to the rebuilding of God's Temple. He says that they, they also gave over three tons of silver for the. Now, I don't know if you know anything about gold and silver, but it's kind of precious. And in today's money, I don't think we can even fathom it'd be like trying to bring Fort Knox into the church today. I mean, just piles and piles of gold and silver given by these people who'd been in exile for the past 70 years. But again, they were unified. They knew what they needed to do and they knew what God wanted them to do. And so each person in each family gave sacrificially in order to make that happen. Heard a story about, uh, well, actually I was uh, in this church still uh, when the Family Life Center began to be dreamed up. And I remember the most of you that were here probably remember the, the pledge process and trying to get people to, to say, you know, we'll, we'll commit to giving this much over the next however many years to make this a reality. And it was a, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the, the dream for the Family Life Center actually began years and years and years ago and came out of a planning process. And it took a long time to actually bring that to fruition. But I remember how generous people were in this church in order to get the, the work off the ground. And then eventually, you know, honestly, that's a big project. And, and thank God today there's no debt on that incredible facility that we've got. And not only that, but think about all the lives that have been touched through this facility and the ministry. I mean, it's, it's something that this church said, we, we believe God wants us to do it. We're going to put our money where our mouth is and make this happen. And since then, I mean, literally... Through Upward, through all these other ministries, thousands of people in Knox County have come through those doors back there and been touched at least in some way. 
I heard a story about another church that was going to uh, do this building project and, and, and they just weren't getting things off the ground. They didn't really have the, the finances in the bank to, to make it possible, but they had this vision. And so this old preacher gets up one Sunday morning and he says, I've got some really good news and some really bad news about our, our building project. He says, the good news is we now have all the money necessary to make this happen. Everybody was thrilled. He said, the bad news, however, is it's all still in your pockets. And so sometimes uh, we have to gain, you know, grasp that vision in order to give sacrificially. When we come to the realization, though, that everything that we have actually already belongs to God, that makes that a whole lot easier to give what he's already entrusted to us that belongs to him back to him in order to build his kingdom. I've never heard anyone say, man, I sure wish I hadn't given so much to God's work. I've never had that happen yet. Third reality this morning, and not only does it require great sacrifice, but this one's maybe even tougher than opening up your pocketbooks. Great progress requires great flexibility from everyone. Some of us just aren't too flexible, are we? Let's be honest. I never minded coloring outside of the lines or thinking outside of the box. But now I understand for some of us, it's really tough thinking outside of what's normal. And I get that. But that doesn't make us any less. We just have to learn that just because something's new or because something's different or because it's somebody approaches uh, the same thing a different way, it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing necessarily. Sometimes it's actually necessary to go about things differently because what we've been doing maybe isn't working or maybe because uh, the way we normally do it just, just won't work. And that's what we see in this story. And, and this is easy to miss, but Ezra tells us that Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the Levites and everyone else, they begin to build. And he says something we'll overlook if you're not careful. He says, they appointed the Levites who were 20 years old or older to supervise the work on the Lord's house. So here's why that's odd. Back in the book of Numbers, when we were reading through the book of Numbers, the age requirement for someone to be a Levite was set first at what? 30 years old. Then we get a little bit farther and that that requirement's dropped down to 25 years old. And and I can just imagine, oh my goodness, now as they're dropping this down to 20 years old. Can you imagine the business meeting that took place in First Baptist Jerusalem when they gathered together in their family conference and said, I think it's time to chop the requirement down for our Levite preachers to be 20 years old, and that's it. And somebody's saying, God, we've never done it this way. We've always had... I, then some old per, older person says, I remember when it was said at 30, and then we drop it to 25. You, how dare you drop it to 20? Anyway... Why did they do this? I think, honestly, they dropped it to 20 because they had to. They're coming back from exile and for the past 70 years, and they simply didn't have enough Levites to go about the work in the Lord's house. And so they realized if they're going to do this great work, it meant there were going to have to be some adjustments made. They're going to have to adapt to this situation. And they went about things a little differently than normal. Out of necessity. But they were willing to do that. And the point of this is when you set out to do something different or when you set out to do something great, you, you can't expect that the same practices or even the same parameters that got you where you are 
will, will help get you to the next thing. They may not be sufficient or efficient enough to get you to the next place that God wants to take you. And so you may have to make some minor adjustments. Maybe for you personally, that means, you know what, maybe it's time for me to finish that degree that I started and didn't finish so long ago. Or maybe uh, I need to take that position that I've just not taken because I want to get God wants to take me somewhere else in life. Maybe for the church, maybe it means you got to make some changes to the budget or change the way that you go about ministry while keeping the gospel message just as pure as it ever was. Progress requires flexibility. But we've also got to remember this, this final thing. This is so important. And that's that we must balance past experiences with future expectations. And let me explain this one a little bit. The victories of yesterday are often insufficient for the battles of tomorrow. However, that does not mean that they're not important. And so you've got to find a balance. You've got to, to value those who laid the foundations, value those who've gone before us and those who've given sacrificially, value those that have fought so hard to give us what we have and learn from their failures, learn from their successes. But at the same time, you've you got to, uh, I think it'd be an injustice if we allowed our past to rob us of what God has in store for the future. And so I think while you're keeping all that in mind, you've got to at the same time look forward to, to those future expectations and, and catch the vision where God wants you to go next and find a balance between the two. A lot of times we allow the past to rob us and, and rob us of what God has in store for us. I think mostly because of fear, because we're afraid of forsaking those who, who did all that in the past or we're simply afraid of what the future looks like. And so we, we become stagnant in a sense. And so in this story, we see that there's, there's one group that's, as they're laying the foundation of the Lord's temple, there's one group that's shouting and they're praising the Lord. And right beside them, there's this other group that's, that's weeping and mourning over what used to be. And it's an incredible moment. And, and Ezra tells us you got the shouting and the weeping coming together. And it's so loud that you couldn't tell the difference between the two. Just a big roar of Emotions. So which group in this story was right? The shouters or the weepers? Both. Both of them. They're both coming to the same exact situation with very different perspectives, with very different emotional reactions, with different motivations, but they're both right, they're both correct, and they're both necessary. They were still unified in their pursuit in spite of their differences. They're, they're unified in the pursuit of obeying God and rebuilding His temple, even though some are sad because they've seen the former temple and some are very excited in this moment. They're still unified to get this job done because that's what God wants them to to do. So I think the biggest takeaway from this final part of the story this morning is that we need, as a church, multi-generational involvement in everything that we do. We need the wisdom of those who have, quote, seen the first temple. We need the wisdom of those who have been through some of these situations and been through some of these different scenarios that maybe my generation and my children's generation have not seen yet. 
We need the guidance of those who've been around, but we also need that fervor and that passion of the younger generation with their new ideas and, and even their TikToks and Twitters and all this stuff that I don't even get, you know. But we need their input because I think in a lot of ways, the younger generations have a better understanding of the cultural shifts in our society. And when we put those two things together, the wisdom with the understanding of what's going on today, we can create a force that can make the gospel known in ways that we never even dreamed possible. We need each other. And I'll just be honest with you. I think this cancel culture that we've got going on is one of the most dangerous things. Because how can we know where we're going if we don't know where we've been? Now, some have said that he doesn't know history is what? Doomed to repeat it. But at the same time, he that dwells in the past can never see the future. And so again, it takes this balance and it takes all of us, multi-generational, different experiences, different passions, working together and managing all of these past experiences with our future expectations. I'm thankful that our church, if, if you ever get the chance, I'm going to put a plug in for Tony Todd. If you ever get a chance, and, and those that have helped him, go back and read the history of First Baptist Church of Barberville, Kentucky. It will blow your mind how impactful this church has been, not only here in Barberville, but to our region and to the world for that matter. I'm thankful that we value our past, and I'm also thankful that we value the future that God has before us. So what's the grand takeaway from all of this this morning? I know it's a lot. I think the big takeaway is getting back to the most basic part of our Christian walk, which is complete surrender and obedience to God, no matter what that looks like. Everything that we've talked about this morning involves a heart that is completely submissive to God's will. I'm going to give in to God's will in my life. I'm going to give in to God's will for my family. I'm going to give in to God's will for my pocketbook. I'm going to give in to God's will for my church. And I'm going to yield to Him and live and give sacrificially. And if you yield to Him, you'll be flexible in whatever He wants you to do. If you yield to Him, you'll be thankful for the past victories that He's given you while you're at the same time looking forward to that future that He has in store for you. It's a lot of good stuff, and I'm very excited about the next couple weeks as we go through this rebuilding part of the Bible. It's, it's an incredibly exciting part of God's Word and the story of His people, and I think it's also very encouraging to us as we look to not only revitalize the church, but revitalize our own hearts. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Father, this morning we're so thankful. I think that's the good word, Lord. We're thankful this morning. God, as we just pause and reflect over the faithfulness that you've shown us, God, thank you for being faithful in my life time and time again, even when I didn't deserve it. Thank you, God, for being faithful to this church. Thank you, God, for being faithful to this nation. God, when we have flat turned our backs on you, Thank you that we can read about how you were faithful to a people that lived in open rebellion to you and you brought them back to the promised land. God, this morning, it's my prayer that as individuals, we would come back to this basic need to surrender to you. 
Lord, life gets busy. We get caught up in, in the, the rat race, caught up with the, the busyness of, of life and the daily grinding. God, I just pray that we take a moment this morning and just ask ourselves, what is it God wants me to do today? Where is God taking me in life? How does God want me to serve Him and, and be part of the church? And God, whatever that looks like this morning, I pray that someone would have the resolve to make a commitment today, whether it's for salvation or baptism or church membership or just, as we talked about, getting back to the basic things, the fundamentals of our faith, like prayer, spending time in the Word, coming to church regularly and worshiping You, being part of a Sunday school class, or whatever that looks like for us, we pray, God, this morning, You would have Your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if there's a decision you need to share, if you want to come and pray, of course, this altar is open as we sing. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.